It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey, everybody, this is Bob Murphy. No, it's just a really tired Evan Roberts with another edition of Rico Bronia. I did do it, I did drive to Washington, D.C. on Wednesday morning. Arrived in time to watch the New York Mets take care of business and defeat the Washington Nationals and then turned around and drove back and then said, hey, Pete Hoffman, let's record Rico Bronia. So while you're probably listening to this Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon, I would hope before the Atlanta series, we are recording this at one o'clock in the morning, literally minutes after my car pulled in after a long trip to D.C. And if you ask, is it worth it? Is it worth driving nine combined hours to watch a three-hour baseball game? The answer is very simple. The answer is, of course it's not. No, the answer is, oh, hell yeah. I mean, I got to watch Daniel Vogelback hit a grand slam. I got to watch Michael Givens make his Mets debut and literally put a, like, urinate all over the mound. I mean, that's... That's what I got. No, but but here's the truth, because I, I always want to be honest. I have a rule in life. My wife knows the rule. My son, Jet, knows the rule. Spence will learn the rule. He's my youngest son. And this rule was taught by my dad. And I was at this game with Jet, my oldest son, with my wife, and with my dad. And that rule is we don't leave games early. It's just not something we do. But as I've gotten older, I make rare exceptions. And the key word is rare exceptions to that rule. When you are in Washington, D.C., and you have a five-hour commute home, and your team is up 9 nothing, that's one of those nights where you make an exception. So believe it or not, and boy was I scared, right after the bottom of the eighth inning, we left. And I again, I don't do it often, but remember, 9 nothing, five-hour trip home. Working the next day. Craig and I are going to be on the air Thursday and Friday. It seemed like that was a an okay exception. Even my dad, who taught me the rule, you never leave early, gave me the nod of approval. And then we go in the car. I put on the MLB or the Odyssey app. I don't know how I was listening to the Met game. Let's just say Odyssey. <laughs> Either way, I'm listening to Howie Rose. I turn on the Met broadcast because, look, I can't take anything for granted. And as I'm listening to base hit, base hit, base hit, and the frustration in Howie Rose's voice, I never thought the Mets were going to lose the game. I never thought they were going to give up nine runs to the Washington Nationals. But it wasn't exactly the best timing for Michael Gibbons. He's the one reliever they added at the deadline. A very underwhelming deadline. Some people are panicking more than others. I am not giving you panic, but I'm disappointed with the lack of relievers that they added. I've made that clear. And here's the one guy that they add. And he can't even get through the ninth inning. Oh, but hey, he's been traveling a lot lately. Hey, that stress of getting that phone call. You're being traded to a contender. I'm not going to bury Michael Givens. I'm not. It's not the right thing to do. But I think we'd all agree it was a really, really bad first impression. And sometimes first impressions are the main impressions. So it wasn't the greatest car ride out of Washington, D.C. initially. But the Mets did win. And my record in Washington, D.C., I'd like to share it with everybody, is now 10-1. and 
That's right. 10-1 and one in Washington, D.C., believe it or not, watching the Mets take on the Washington Nationals. My man Pete Hoffman did a show right after the Yankee game. How was that show, by the way? I didn't hear it, but I, I'm sure it was good, right? Uh, I got a lot of uh, traction, let's say, and I got a bunch of people calling in and telling me to shut up because I was very <laughs> anti, uh, anti-Garrett anti Cole. Listen, he's not an ace, I'm sorry. Just It's breaking news. And, oh, man. And, and and I did get my, my, my jab in. Um, I, I, I told, I said, Aaron Judge is having the greatest final season in pinstripes of all time. And that Look takes some people that that takes take some people Look too. at you. By the way, and this is related to something I did think about the other night. I didn't mention it on the special Rico Bronya we put out the other day reacting to Jake's return and reacting to the trade deadline. But today, and maybe it was the car ride, maybe it was talking to my dad about the Mets, the state of the Mets. It was the first time I really gave thought to the idea of, wow, Jacob DeGrom's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And I'm pretty hard fast on this. Jacob DeGrom needs to finish his career as a New York Met. And despite any risk that you may feel in giving him $50 million a year, and that's probably what the price tag is, considering what Max Scherzer's making. And I know it's only one start. It's five innings, one run. Let's see what he does against Atlanta Sunday. Let's see if he could stay healthy. Which is really the key around Jake. Jake's awesome. Uh, I mean, this, the bad starts Garrett Cole has, and I, I'm not turning this into a knock on Garrett Cole. It's really a compliment of Jacob DeGrom. He doesn't have starts like that. He just doesn't. I mean, if you look back at the last few years, his worst starts are six hittings, three runs. I mean, he just doesn't have bad starts. The big thing about Jake is staying healthy. But I did give it thought about how in an offseason, which I know we shouldn't worry about. I'm not going to spend that much time on it. I'm just giving you a thought I had. An offseason that features Edwin Diaz as a free agent and Brandon Nimmo as a free agent and all that. There is no world where I'd be okay with letting Jacob DeGrom walk. There's just no world. Uh, I was thinking, boy, it would actually hurt me more than the Nets trading Kevin Durant. Because with Kevin, it's, it's strictly business. It's strictly he gives me the best chance to win a championship, period, stop. With Jake, there's an emotional attachment. And this is a franchise that hasn't had a lot of guys who spent their entire career with one team. So I get the Aaron Judge jokes. I respect the Aaron Judge jokes. But there is a part of me that sort of worries or wonders. Maybe not even worries, but wonders. What the hell is Jacob DeGrom's free agency going to look like? Because it would devastate me as a diehard fan if Jacob DeGrom's pitching for any other baseball team. No, you're right. And the one thing I, I talked about that actually on the show too a little bit because we were looking through the numbers. I was looking through the numbers. Cole, and it's not, not about a Cole bashing, but in 22 starts, he's really only had, he had 14 quality starts. That's that's good, but that's like 65%. Look at Max Scherzer. He's almost like 80% quality starts. DeGrom, same thing. And on the bad days that they don't get a quote-unquote quality start, they go five and two-thirds with one run. You know what I mean? So right. it's like their their outings, even their bad outings, aren't bad, you know. Yeah, and they're just reliable. The, the the biggest knock on Jake and to a degree Scherzer over the last few years is their ability to make a start every five days. And I think the biggest compliment of Garrett Cole, not that I want to turn this into any serious discussion on Garrett Cole, we'll save it for the fan. And I, I've said this before, is that he goes out there and pitches every five days. Is he as good as Max Scherzer or Jacob DeGrom? No. And I don't think any Yankee fan or baseball fan would say he is, but he pitches. And 
the biggest knock or concern about Max and Jake over the last few years is certainly not their ability when they pitch. It's their availability. And that's going to be the biggest question, I think, of anything facing the Mets as they conclude this pennant race with Atlanta and head potentially to a postseason berth. And that's, can they keep these two guys healthy? A couple of things on this series, a little bit on Mets Nationals, and we'll preview the Brave series coming up in a little bit. Number one, you go back to game one of this series, a game in which they won. They got a quality performance out of Max Scherzer. It kind of piggybacks on what you're talking about. You know, six and two-thirds, three runs, two earn. A day in which he's, you know, not dominant and really had to battle, I think is one of those days where you appreciate a great pitcher because Max didn't have his best stuff. And you could tell from the early going. You know, he was not going to let Juan Soto beat him because at that time Juan Soto was a national it feels like it was six months ago, but it was the opener of this series. Juan Soto got on base four times because Max Scherzer made a decision until the fourth inning. And at that point, he had a four to one lead. So he said, hey, I feel good. I'm not letting Juan Soto beat me. And he didn't. And because of that, it led to Josh Bell coming up and ripping that double. And obviously the Mets having the defensive miscue that they had. But I think what changed things, obviously, was offensively they were able to hit Patrick Corbin where everybody hits Patrick Corbin. My fan baseball team would hit Patrick Corbin. But it was a, a good performance by Max mainly because he didn't have his best stuff. And that's what you want to see. That's what an ace does. They don't have their best stuff, and they still give you six and two-thirds, three runs. What I thought was really interesting from the opener of this series, and it becomes even more interesting after the trade deadline with the acquisition of Darren Ruff, was we saw Buck Showalter pinch it for J.D. Davis and go lefty-righty, as in I'm pinch-hitting for J.D. with Daniel Vogelback in the fifth inning. Now, managing against the Nationals is very easy, and I don't mean that because they're a bad team. I mean it because they're predictable. They don't have a lefty in their bullpen. So when you have a straight-up lefty-righty platoon, and we could just change the name because obviously it ain't J.D. Davis anymore. It's Darren Ruff, Daniel Vogelbach, depending on who's pitching and which arm they use to pitch, it's much easier to manage in a straight platoon world when things are predictable. And the Nationals are predictable because when Corbin comes out of that game, there's not a lefty in that bullpen. Very few teams are like that. The Mets may end up like that because Joely Rodriguez stinks, but most teams, look at the Braves. Look at Atlanta coming up this weekend. They have a handful of lefties in their bullpen. And so the reason I bring this up is the New York Mets made a decision to lean into being a platoon team. And I'm going to give you some numbers that backs up or at least defends the idea that they're a platoon team. And that is Darren Ruff versus lefties and Daniel Vogelback versus righties. Because that's your DH. Barring a change in mind on Francisco Alvarez, and I, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't see how it's going to happen anytime soon or a change of opinion on Mark Vientos. They're going to go, at least for the time being, with a straight platoon at DH between Darren Ruff and Daniel Vogelbach. If you take Ruff's numbers against lefties and Vogelbach's numbers against righties and you combine them, you form the super platoon player. What do you want to call this guy? Vogelruff? Ruffleback? Whatever you want to combine these guys with, if you take the two of them, and you combine them because there are going to be very few instances in which Vogelbach is facing a lefty and Ruff is facing a righty, though it will become more complicated when you face teams with multiple lefties and multiple righties out of their bullpen, which the Nationals didn't have. 
Their combined numbers this season. I did some math. 262 average. Okay. About a 900 OPS because it's very difficult to do math with OPS. So I'm kind of giving you a rough estimate. 262 average. 900. By the way, a 900 OPS is a star. Like a 900 OPS is an all-star player. 22 home runs, 55 RBIs. Now, has J.D. Martinez produced that this year? Now, the answer is no. And I don't mean to pick on him. But the point is, in theory, okay, in theory, the Vogel rough platoon or the ruffle back platoon, which one do you want to go with? Vogel rough or ruffle back? Where do you want to go? I think ruffle back sounds more... It's a little bit sexier. Ruffleback. You like that one? I do like it. The Ruffleback. All right? (laughs) This Ruffleback platoon, in theory, is a very productive baseball player. He is. Here's the problem. (laughs) Okay? Because sometimes it's not as simple as you think, and Buck's going to be tested. But, hey, if there's a manager that's going to have to kind of lean into the aspect of a platoon team, why not have it be Buck Showalter? I mean, why not him? But let's take the Atlanta Braves. Let's take the fact that Max Freed starts a game. Or really anybody, Ian Anderson starts a game. And so Max Freed's on the mound, so you're starting Darren Ruff. It makes complete sense. Now there's a righty on the mound. Colin McHugh comes into pitch, and you send up Vogelbach. And then two innings later, or three innings later, when Vogelbach is going to have his fourth at-bat, here's A.J. Minter. You see what I'm saying? Like, you've got to decide when you're pressing that button because teams with competent bullpens like Atlanta, who has Dylan leaves had a great year from the left side, Tyler Matzik, AJ Minter. And then from the right side, Rossi Iglesias now Kenley Jansen, Colin McHugh Braves have a really good bullpen. They've got a bullpen with versatility. They got a bullpen that has depth of lefties and righties. You run into a little bit of an issue because again, I laid out how these two guys combine. Hell of a player. No one could argue that. Rough against lefties, Vogel back against righties. Oh, my God, it's amazing. Except a lot of teams aren't getting eight innings from their starting pitching. So when the Atlanta Braves start Spencer Strider and you start Vogelbach, but then in the fifth inning, he's facing A.J. Minter, and now he's out for Darren Ruff. But then in the eighth inning, here comes Kenley Jansen or Rossiel Iglesias. What are you going to do? Now, the Mets are becoming a team in which their bench is really, really relevant. Now, you could say, well, that's why Tyler Naquin is there. I don't think that's why James McCann is there. Maybe that's why Eduardo Escobar is there. But you're also going to use those pieces to potentially pinch hit for your catcher, even though Buck Showalter hasn't done that a lot, whether it was two weeks ago with not using Jeff McNeil and then giving me and Craig mysterious reasons why he didn't, basically saying, I can't tell you why I didn't, but trust me, there's good reason why I didn't. Okay, Buck. I actually believe him, by the way. I don't know what the reason is, but the tone on how he said it made me think, okay, there was something going on. I don't know what it is. Let's not pry. Fine. We'll deal with this later. But then the other day, when Tomas Nitto came up in the Jacob deGrom game, and there's first and second nobody out, down by three runs, to me, use a bullet, try to hit a three-run home run. But you only have four guys on your bench. So if you're using the DH, where you're going to pinch hit, maybe twice, depending on the matchup, do you have enough spots to pinch hit for your catcher, who ain't a great offensive player? And again, I mentioned this last time. I Maybe I'll be proven wrong on this. 
as even though Alvarez is figuring out AAA pitching, and I don't think there's any question Francisco Alvarez can hit. I don't. I don't know if they're calling him up to catch because right now it doesn't fit at DH based on the move for Ruff, based on Vogelbach. It doesn't fit. It fit a month ago. It doesn't fit now. Would they actually have the balls to call up Francisco Alvarez and say, you're going to catch? Because right now, unlike a few weeks ago, where I was big on call him up and let him DH, he only fits as a catcher. You don't really fit as a DH right now based on what they gave up for Darren Ruff and based on Vogelbach's production. If, 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 if McCann or Nito get injured mm-hmm. and they're out for any significant time, I think at that point in time they have to make the call down for us and skip with the Mazika nonsense. Like, or but, Perez. But they, okay, but they haven't. Because James McCann just missed a bunch of time, and they did give you the Mazika nonsense, but they gave you Mazika as a backup. Let's face it. Tomas Nito has been the everyday catcher for the most part. So what makes you think that's going to change considering they just gave you the Mazika thing for the last couple of weeks? Well, because Alvarez is now actually hitting in AAA. They, before, when he first yeah. got called up, he wasn't. Now he's actually hit another bomb today, right? Yeah, no, no, no. He's hitting. No, he did hit a bomb on uh, Wednesday. Absolutely. I don't. I think he can hit. I, I, I think you and I both thought he could hit a month ago. The thing I was skeptical about a month ago, and I'm going to remain skeptical until the Mets do something different, is that are they going to trust him to catch? Not trust him to hit. Are they going to trust him to be the catcher in a veteran rotation with Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom, Chris Bassett, Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker. That is the definition of a veteran rotation. And look, Chris Bassett was great in the Wednesday afternoon game against the Nationals, which I'll get to in a second. He throws 85 different pitches. <laughs> Can Alvarez handle that? I don't know. I don't know. And maybe you call him up, and you usually don't do this with a prospect because you want him to play. But maybe you call him up as... The big bullet. I mentioned, you want to start Tomas Nito, who I like defensively? Fine. There's going to be a moment in the game in which you take his ass out for a big bat. Maybe the big bat is Alvarez, but you are you got to figure out the amount of spots on your bench. I mean, how many guys can you afford? First of all, you have a four-man bench, essentially, in Major League Baseball. Now, there's no rule. You can carry one less pitcher. I understand that. And go load it on the bench, which the Mets may be made up to do based on the fact that they've got a rotation that goes deep in games and the fact that they are a platoon team where they need more bats off their bench. This isn't the National League anymore with the pitcher hitting, but the Mets need pinch hitters because the DH is a platoon. You want to pinch hit your everyday catcher because he ain't much of a hitter. You may even want to pinch hit your third baseman. Luis Guillerme starting at third base. I think he's going to start a lot. You may match up late in the game, say, I don't want Luis Guillerme facing A.J. Minter in a big spot. So... A lot of teams wouldn't do it. The Mets may be set up to actually carry one less pitcher and one more extra guy on their bench. But is Alvarez called up to do that, to be the big bullet off the bench and catch once a week? (sighs) If you... See, here's the thing is, you might as well give him an opportunity now so you could figure that out so that in the September, in September, when they're in that playoff race... And every game, because every game counts. You can't give away any game right now. But do it now. See if it can work. He's And listen, he's caught Scherzer. He's caught the Grom. 
He's caught oh, come some on. That doesn't count. I, I know, but it does count. It, it has to count a little bit. There's got to be some I, I don't know. There. I, I don't know. A lot of minor league catchers get to catch veteran pitchers and rehab starts. I think we're all just hoping that Francisco Alvarez caught Jacob DeGrom and Jacob DeGrom fell in love. I think that's what we're all hoping for. But we'll see. I, I, it'll be interesting as the next few weeks go on. The finale of this series, the game I was at on Wednesday afternoon, that's typical of the Mets because they have been so good from the beginning of this season on at bouncing back after losses. And the loss on Tuesday was one of those weird losses. They had a seven-game winning streak. It's tough to bitch. Yes, it was frustrating that Jake ran into the same problems he's run into for five years, which is he's great. The offense can't score runs. The bullpen kind of let the game get out of reach. But like I mentioned, those two guys are both gone. Like those two guys, Yohan Lopez and Nogosik, they were both optioned right after that game. It was obvious. So the bullpen that failed in game two of this series is not the bullpen that's around anymore. But what was great about the Wednesday game, and look, I know the Nationals are terrible. We all know that. We all know that. But you don't throw back wins. You got to beat these teams. You got to crush these teams. And the Mets are 10-3 and against Washington, which you have to be. You have to crush these teams. They've done a great job against Miami. They've done a great job against Washington. They'll have a bunch more games against the Phillies and Braves coming up, but the Mets have actually owned the NL East in an incredible way. Uh, Bassett was excellent. He threw strikes, which was a major upgrade over what happened in the game on Friday of last week against Miami. The Mets played excellent defense. Luis Guillerme. How good defensively is Luis Guillerme? He is incredible. If they if they actually had offense behind the plate and now they're going to have offense at DH, you could look at Guillerme and say, F it, just play him every day at third base. And I had mentioned uh, about a month ago that I love the idea of Guillerme at second, McNeil at third. Jeff McNeil hasn't played a lot of third base. He's played a really good second base. The reason I was drawn into that, by the way, was Luis Guillerme and Francisco Lindor's a double play combination is intoxicating. And while Guillerme plays a great third base, if I had to pick what his best position is, it's probably second base. But because McNeil has played so well at second and Guillerme is so natural at third, obviously it makes sense to run it that way. But they are so good defensively when Luis is out there. And Chris Bassett, I don't know if you guys caught this in the postgame. This was really high praise. Chris Bassett said... Luis Guillerme is the best defensive infielder in Major League Baseball, and he deserves to win a gold glove. And Chris Bassett's played behind some or played in front of some great defensive players, including Matt Chapman, who used to be his teammate. So that was very, very high praise on Luis. He's great defensively. He's going to face a lot of righties these days. I mean, look, we're seeing it over the last few days with Buck. Eduardo Escobar is no longer getting that benefit of the doubt as the every single day third baseman. He'll get a chance to play. He'll play a little bit. I mean, look in this Atlanta series. We only know four of the five starters as of right now. Only one's a lefty. So if this is going to be a strict lefty-righty thing for Escobar, he's going to lose a hell of a lot of time. That's for damn sure. But what was great about this win, there's so many great things about this win. Pete Alonzo, it's another freaking home run. He's got how many now? 30? Was that his 30th or his 29th? I think it was his 30th. I think it was 28th. Wasn't his 28th? Oh, you know what? You're right. It was his 28th because he was at 27. I'm getting ahead of myself, Pete. I'm predicting the weekend, maybe. Well, listen, you are. And by the way, just just before you get a little further, quick question. Where the hell did you listen to the postgame with Chris Bassett? So, that's a great question. So, 
<laughs> As we were driving back, I asked my wife, can you go to my DirecTV Now uh, DVR my library and put on the Met post game because at this point everybody was sleeping. She was like falling asleep and I couldn't do it while I was driving. So I listened to the Mets post game show from SNY while I was driving. And for anyone who's going to make fun of me, I didn't do this to like 11 o'clock at night. Everybody was gone. I mean, uh, well, what do you want me to do? Think, think, just, just think by myself. For you are a, you are a sick, Sick individual. I would have put up, uh, you know, one of my favorite albums on. Like you got a two-hour drive, hour and a half drive. Put some well, sort of music on. Craig, I'm about to call you Craig. Pete, I listen to all sorts of crap. First, I listen to stuff from my kid. Then my <laughs> wife wanted to listen to some of her music. Then I put some of my music on, which is country. Then I put the fan on and checked on Keith McPherson, see what he was up to. And then eventually. I worked my way to the Mets postgame show. That's how I got there. But I bet that was the first thing on your mind was that that's what you want to listen to most and you had to save it for the proper time. I think that's... Yes. Oh, yeah. That was clearly number one on my list. That was up there. I love that. Pete hits the home run. And what we talked about this the other day and I think one of the biggest criticisms offensively of the Mets' actions at the deadline... Yes, they've gotten better, but do they really protect Pete Alonso? Are they really giving him the right protection? And so we got to see in the fifth inning of this game, Davey Martinez say, I ain't letting Pete Alonso beat me. Second and third one out after Lindor popped up. I'm not doing it. And rightfully so. So he walks Pete Alonso. Now, a team that actually was built correctly would have pulled Anibal Sanchez for a lefty reliever and not Jordan Weems which I fully understand, but the Nationals said, hey, we got no lefty, whatever. Let's go to Jordan Weems. And to Vogelbach's credit, he gives you that quality at bat, hit one deep and foul, and then pounds the grand slam. So Vogelbach, who's there to protect Alonzo against the righty for the most part, I mean, some days it'll be McNeil, but Vogelbach's the slugger. He gave you that first FU. That first, oh, okay, you don't want to face Pete Alonzo? Well, get a load of this, because I just parked a grand slam against your ass. So that was cool to see. I enjoyed that. That was fun. No, it, it was worth it, dude. Listen, I, I, and that's the one thing. And I said that in our trade, in our original trade um, preview, trade deadline preview. I said Vogelback is that type of dude. He's had the 30 home run season. He's had that experience. It, it, it's possible that he could really fit this lineup. And so far, offensively, he's been pretty good. Dude, it's about, sometimes it's about putting guys in the position to succeed. Sometimes it's as simple as that. And I think there are enough numbers about Vogelbach and about Ruff that you just have to put them in a position to succeed. What's going to be challenging for Buck, like I mentioned earlier, and I think the Braves are a great example of it, is when you face a more balanced team, how often you can put these guys in a position to succeed. But it was good to see Vogelbach hit that grand slam. And he, he he does give them legitimate pop because Francisco Lindor hits home runs. I mean, Francisco Lindor has 19 home runs. So to say he doesn't hit home runs isn't fair. Starling Marte can hit home runs. But outside of Pete Alonso, they don't have a slugger. They have guys who can hit some home runs, but they don't have a slugger. The Mets have hit 106 home runs this year. I don't know. It's not at half has been hit by Pete Alonso, but a little less than a third have been hit by Pete Alonso. Vogelbach 
while not a full every, every, everyday player, is a slugger. I mean, just look at him. He's a freaking slugger. But he's got pop. And so it's good to have another bat in this lineup that gives you the pop. But Bassett bouncing back was another thing that was very nice to see off that Miami game. He pitched a hell of a game. We did get to see Trevor May. So I'm at the game. I'm not, you know, looking at the gun the way maybe we normally would if you're watching on TV. I guess his velocity was down, and he was asked in the post game about his velocity being down, and he said, I was throwing change-ups. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know, man. It's his first performance back. I'm not going to judge Trevor May too much, good or bad, even though similar to the way I'm giving Michael Givens a pass too. As bad as he was in his debut, not that you want to see that, and he certainly gave me visions of Billy Taylor from 1999, and there are plenty of crappy relievers you can come up with that the Mets traded for at the deadline that turned out to suck. Uh, Let's see more from Trevor May. I think there'll be a couple of more low-leverage situations, I'd assume, before, before Buck throws him into the mix. But here's what it comes down to with this Met team. Because their bullpen is a, it's a finished product. Now, there's no more waiver deadline. There's no more, hey, maybe they can add a guy. The Mets have added a lot of waiver guide relievers over the years. Addison Reed was a waiver guy, I think. Tyler Clippard was a waiver guy, I think. Guillermo Moto was a waiver guy, if I'm not mistaken. A lot of, a lot of relievers have been added through the waiver wire trades. That's not going to happen. But the key, as much as we hate hearing it, but it is the reality, is... What is Trevor May? Because Trevor May for the Minnesota Twins for the last three years before the Mets signed him was a quality reliever. Wasn't a dominant reliever, but was a quality reliever. Can he be that quality reliever? And here's the ultimate question. And there's no way to answer this, by the way. I'm just giving you some thoughts. You remember a couple years ago when the Washington Nationals won the World Series? And I'm not bringing up them using starters out of the bullpen. We all know that, and I'm sure we'll get more into that as the Mets become like a real postseason team, a team that's going to make the playoffs, and we'll analyze which starter can help you out of the bullpen and using guys on their throw days and all that. But that's not what I was getting to. What I was getting to was Daniel Hudson. Daniel Hudson is a quality reliever, always has been. Well, first he was a starter who got hurt, but has been a quality reliever for a few years. He was pitching out of his mind in that postseason run, if memory serves correct. Keith Folk for the Boston Red Sox in 2004, granted he was the closer, but pitched out of his mind for the Red Sox during that run. The Mets are going to need, if they're going to win a World Series, somebody. And could it be Adam Ottavino, who's been pitching out of his mind for two months? I guess it could. Could it be Seth Lugo, who has shown us at times, not this year for the most part, but has shown us at times he could be a really good reliever? I don't know. Could it be Trevor May? They're going to need someone, not named Edwin Diaz, because he's the closer. We get it. They're going to ask him to get five, six outs basically every single night. But can there be somebody in this bullpen? Michael Givens, sure, why not? Joely Rodriguez, no shot. Drew Smith, if he ever comes back, okay. Can there be one guy that pitches his ass off? Because what's crazy about the Mets, and maybe this is me trying to calm myself down about the disappointment of the lack of bullpen arms they added at the deadline is this is a team that could be like the 05 White Sox. The 05 White Sox had their starting pitchers go basically eight freaking innings every game in the postseason. Ozzie Guillen rode Jose Contreras and Mark Burley and anyone else in that rotation and said, just pitch till your arm falls off. 
And when you've got Max Scherzer and you've got Jacob deGrom and you even have Chris Bassett and you've got a closer. So you got guys who can start who you trust and you got a guy in the back end who needs to be great. Look, Edwin Diaz has to be great. I know we've got whiplash from all these closers sucking in the postseason, but, and I'm not predicting Edwin Diaz is going to be locked down. I'm just telling you, he needs to be great. If you can get one guy to get two to five outs on a nightly basis during the postseason, that may be enough. Because look, if the Mets are going to win anything, they're going to need their starting pitchers to be great. And when you look at how they've gotten to where they are right now, which is 66 and 38, which is crazy, first place in this National League East going into this Atlanta series, they've done it because their starting pitching has gone deep into games. And that includes Max missing a few months, and that includes Jake not even pitching. If you look at their, forget stats, forget the ERA, innings pitched by their starting pitchers. I think they're fourth in Major League Baseball or fifth, and it's a little misleading because they've played fewer games. So you put them on an even playing field with these other teams, they're getting as much innings from their starting pitching as anybody, and more so than anybody, that has to continue. And that's got to be their formula in the postseason. So while this is not a bullpen I fully trust, there are not a lot of guys in this bullpen that I love outside of Diaz, obviously. And, and that's not a knock on Adovino. I just, I'm skeptical he can keep this up. The formula is going to be these starting pitchers got to go real deep into games. And luckily, Hoff, we've watched it all year. Look at the last two weeks of starting pitching. They're all pitching into the seventh inning every single night. And Buck's going to need that come October. Well, Listen, it was important today for Bassett. I mean, even again, even though it was the Nationals, it's still good to see them go deep. Um, and, and you really wish that they can go even further. I mean, honestly, like I look at Alcantara. He pitched another complete game today. What is it, the fourth one the season? I mean, at some point in time, it's nice to see if a, if a pitcher is that good and, and can, can have the longevity to save the bullpen so you don't have to go to Diaz every day. Or, 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 even, or go to, a, hopefully, an Ottavino. You know? I, I wish you can go well, deeper. But, but, but you know what the difference, though, is, Pete? Has there been a lot of games this season where it's Buck not pushing them or it's, hey, this guy's done? Like, look at Max Scherzer against the Yankees last week. And he pitched great. But wouldn't you admit he was done after seven innings that, yeah, you could push him for the eighth inning. Sure, you could. I got the impression... He was done. Like, that was it. You got what you could out of him, and now you move on, as opposed to Alcantara, who has been economical at times with his pitches and has also looked as if he could go another inning. Sometimes it's not as simple as, hey, just push him. It's, did you just get the most out of that guy? No, that's true. And and listen, we're going to be focusing on Tywin Walker again because, you know, this is now going to be his potential second longest season Back to back, last year it fell fell flat, fell flat in his face. So we have to see how he could be. He could push himself. Is he going to be able to go deep into games? Are they going to have to start cutting him off after five or six innings? If it looks like he's he's petering out a little bit. So I mean, I I, I get that, but I I guess I with, with the lack of bullpen help in the trade deadline, it's like, oh, do you add more pressure to try to get more length out of your starters? So the five-game series begins in earnest. It's weird because they had a five-game series against Atlanta last year. And if you forgot about that series, let me just remind you this. Let me remind you this. The New York Mets played the Atlanta Braves 
in a five-game series right before the trade deadline. It was July 26th, so about five days before the trade deadline, the Mets went into the series in first place over Atlanta by four and a half games, five in the loss column. So pretty similar to at least games back-wise to where we are this year. It's three and a half, four in the loss column. Then last year it was four and a half, five in the loss column. Now one huge difference, the Braves were 500. The Mets were nine games above 500. The records are slightly different this year. The Mets are 28 games above 500. And the Atlanta Braves are 21 games above 500. So obviously the teams are far different in terms of how good they are from a year ago. But it was a series where, and this is what I remember about it. And I haven't looked at any box scores or any of my scorecards from last year. But what I remember is that the Mets had a chance to bury the Atlanta Braves. The Braves were thinking, hey, maybe we're not in the race this year. Now Cunha's out for the season. Uh, Maybe we just pack it up. Maybe it's just not our year. We've won a bunch of divisions in a row. Not that we sell, but maybe we don't buy. And the Mets went into a five-game series without enough starting pitchers. In fact, in that five-game series, and this is so different from this year, but it's, it's worth reminding yourself. One game they used an opener. They did. Aaron Loop was the opener that day. Pitched one inning. I think they actually won that game, if memory serves correct. But they used an opener in one of the games. In one of the other games, they started Jared Eikhoff, the human white flag. And what was so infuriating was, look, no one's expecting you to have traded for Max Scherzer as much as I wanted them to last year. But you needed to do better in a five-game series that was so important for many reasons. I could argue more important last year than this year. Because this year, it's a great pennant race between two great teams, and this series will likely not determine who wins the NL East. Believe it or not, it won't. But that series could have. It could have. Because if the Mets win four out of five or even three out of five, the Braves may not buy. The Braves may not say, you know what? It ain't worth it. And the New York Mets allowed, in a series against Atlanta, using an opener and Jared Eikhoff. Now, I don't want to care about the past or bitch about the past, But it makes me feel good to think that in this five-game series, their starting pitchers are Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, Max Scherzer, David Peterson, who's been pretty good, and Jacob DeGrom. It feels so different than a year ago. Very, very different. But that five-game series last year turned out to be, in many ways, the five-game series that determined the Mets' fate. Here's the good news, though, Mets fans. And this is my thought going into this series. Don't call me a loser for having a loser mentality. Because I'm not giving you a loser mentality. I'm going to call it like it is. The Mets could bury, hypothetically, the Atlanta Braves in this series. Now, I don't think they will. I don't think they're going to sweep a five-game series or even win four to five, though that would be amazing. But if they did, if they did, they could bury them. They could bury those Confederate bastards. I know they're not really Confederates, but... Atlanta, what else am I going to say? They win four out of five. They had three games on this lead. Three. That gives them a seven-game lead in the lost column. Official burial? Not quite, but certainly gives them wiggle room. In the worst-case scenario known to man, which is Atlanta wins all five games or wins four out of five, all they've done is tighten this crap up. Tightened it up to a level in which we're nervous, no doubt. (laughs) 
<laughs> tightened it up to where we're like, oh, crap, here we go. We had Scherzer, we had DeGrom, we had this, we're at home, we lose four to five, we lose all five, no doubt. But worst case scenario, they lose all five. We're sitting here doing this podcast Sunday night. They've lost five straight to the Atlanta Braves. They're a game behind them in the NL East. Think of a game behind them. You do at least have a chance, as depressed as we'll all be, to say, okay, deep breath, disaster, one game back. So the Mets go into this series with the upper hand. With the upper hand of, they can bury the Atlanta Braves, the Braves can't bury us. Now, do I think we're going to lose all five? No. Do I think we're going to win all five? No. I'm not saying that. But I do look at it that way a little bit as we begin this series. The truth is, if the Mets can win three out of five, which is a quality series victory, and just add one game on into the standings, that's a five-game loss column lead, and I'd be thrilled over it. I'd be very, very happy with three out of five. If they lose three out of five, disappointing. But again, standings-wise, which is really all that matters, they'd still have a three-game lead in the National League East. That's with losing Three out of five in this series. Am I coming across like a loser mentality, Hoff, or am I just calling it like it is? No, I, 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 the one thing I will say, though, is that I think we now have get, gotten used to winning almost every series. So I, I don't even know, you know, two out of five doesn't even seem realistic to me. You have to take three out of five. It feels like you have, it's not loser mentality if you do only win two out of five because the Braves are good. And, and but but I feel like now we're ingrained they're not losing series. I know it's happened a little bit more in recent month, but they're not losing series. They're going to win this three, three out of five, and that's going to be fine. And and thank you to the Phillies, by the way, for coming back and, and beating the Braves yesterday, too. That, oh, no, great. tremendous. Thank you, Philadelphia. Look, over this five-game stretch for Atlanta against Arizona and Philadelphia and the Mets' six-game stretch against Miami and Washington, the Mets tacked on a half game. And I think that was the goal I set out last week going into this stretch of games saying, hey, you beat up on the Marlins and Nats, a little bit of help from the Phillies, tack on a half game, four-game loss column lead, three and a half in the NLEs. Look, our mentality as Met fans, and I think you've heard it over the last two days with the trade deadline, screaming and yelling, this is the Will Ponds, all that kind of garbage. If they lose this series to Atlanta, I understand there's going to be certain Met fans, some Met fans, who are going to freak out. All I care about is winning this division. I don't care how you do it. I really don't. I don't care how it's done. Win this division. And losing three out of five, while a disappointment, will walk the Mets out of this series, going into a series against Cincinnati, at home, going into a series against Philadelphia, playing a lot better, at home. And then the other four-game series against Atlanta, you walk into it three games up. And that's by losing three out of five. So, I, I don't know what to expect. I, I've gotten out of the prediction business. We're not predictors as talk show hosts. We really aren't. We give our opinions. We're an opinion business. Predictions. None of us have any idea what the hell's going to happen. And that's why we're sports fans. Because we don't know. If we, if we knew what was going to happen, this whole thing would be boring. It'd be like MMA. No, I'm just kidding, Pete. MMA's great. You know what I'm saying. It is. What are you talking? Shut up. MMA is fantastic know. and unpredictable at all times. Let's go. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. WWE, that's what it is. Yeah, that can be predictable. <laughs> no doubt. Well, then Vince isn't in charge, so maybe it won't be predictable. Can I tell but, you, hold on real quick, because the one yeah. time uh, we watched, I think we watched a pay-per-view event together. We were ch- with ch- Chad for some sort of event, and we were thinking about betting on something. And the <laughs> end result was 
who's going to win, and the money was all on one person, but the, the caveat was, is someone going to walk out with a chair and hit somebody with a head or something like that? So that's, it's, 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 WWE is predictable, except the final t- end is someone going to walk out. That That's where yes. you just don't know. MMA no, I get, look, re- WWE is very predictable. Sports <laughs> is unpredictable. I, listen, I could sit here and give you some grant. I have no idea what's going to happen in this series. The, I give you gut feeling sometimes going into the previous Atlanta series. I didn't feel good. I was wrong. The Mets won two out of three going into the Yankee series. I felt good. I said it on the air to Craig. I was like, I feel good about this series. I turned out to be right. I don't know what the hell's going to happen in this series. Uh, looking at the pitching matchups. Here's what we know about the pitching matchups. We know that Kyle Wright is going to face Carlos Carrasco on Thursday night to open this series. We know Ian Anderson, who has not had a good year, is going to face Taiwan Walker. Taiwan Walker has been okay in the second half of the year, but he's at the battle, that's for sure. We know that Max Freed, the Braves' best pitcher, is going to pitch one of the two games of the doubleheader, and someone else is going to pitch the other. I don't know who that is. I don't know if it means they're calling somebody up, but it's not going to be Charlie Morton, who just pitched, and the Mets are going to throw Max Scherzer David Peterson. By the way, I, I, I err on the side of... I'd save Max for the nightcap only because I like having my best pitcher ready to go in game two, either looking to salvage the doubleheader or looking to take your soul in the doubleheader. I like that. I love having my bullet. If there's a clear difference between the two starters, and it's going to be interesting because Brian Snitker's in the same boat. He's got Max Fried and someone else. The Mets have Max Scherzer and David Peterson. That little dancing game of which game does who start? Do I want to match up Max versus Max? What do I do? I'm telling you right now, I don't care which game Freed pitches. I keep Scherzer for the nightcap. I'm well, a believer in my best pitcher for the second game. You agree with that, Pete? I, I Here's what I agree in. Whatever game Scherzer wants to pitch. Like if Scherzer says, no, nah, I want sure, 1 o'clock, sure. then yes, you say, go sure. for it. That's, what, that's all it's all about. Whatever's most comfortable for him. I totally get that too, by the way. With a veteran like that, if he says, I want to pitch in the afternoon, my opinion gets thrown out the window. I respect that. <laughs> hey, by the way, and then, one, one, one prediction I, I'm curious about. Do you predict that Francisco Lindor will finish the season breaking shortstop records for the Mets? As far as I mean, he's going to break it by the end of the freaking week. Let's go. There's a prediction. Let's go. Lock it in. Yeah, I mean, that's an easy one. <laughs> Uh, and the finale is Spencer Strider, who's had a very good year, and Jacob DeGrom. Uh, I thought it was intriguing that Buck pulled him after 59 pitches in five innings, which I get his first start back, but a part of that may have been, because there's going to be a lot of scenarios over the course of this season where they're going to be able to easily give Jake an extra day, very easily, because there's off days. There's off days in Major League Baseball. In fact, they have an off day next week after their three-game series against Cincinnati. They have an off day Thursday, which easily allows Jacob DeGrom to get an extra day. Give everybody an extra day. But in this case, boy, Jake had to pitch on regular rest because A, you want him to face the Braves, and B, you're already bringing up an extra starter in David Peterson because of the doubleheader. So if you wanted to give Jake an extra day, who else is pitching? <laughs> you know, like what? It's not ideal. So I do think that Buck, rightfully so, said, all right. And look, the Mets lost the game. It is what it is. Every game's important, I know. But I need to make sure I can have Jake ready for a fifth-day starting pitching performance. And after throwing 59 pitches, Jake made it clear right away, I'm good to go. 
and we're going to get Jake Sunday afternoon against the Braves, and that's the finale of this series. Either it's looking for a series win, looking for a sweep, looking for four out of five, or dare I say the opposite, which is, you know, disaster mode. But I expect Sunday afternoon, first of all, I'll say this to the Met fans, Sunday better be sold out. I'm sorry. Like, that's one of those days. Sunday afternoon, it's a late start, 4 o'clock, and I think it's a late start because of the doubleheader. I think that out of respect for the bodies of the Mets and the Braves, they probably agreed we're playing 1 o'clock and 7 o'clock on Saturday. Let's not come back at 1 o'clock on Sunday. Let's push it back till 4 o'clock. Okay, fine. That game's got to be sold out. You're facing the Braves on a Sunday afternoon, and Jacob DeGrom's going to make his first start at City Field in over a year? That's, and I know this is a weird example to make, but I, I gave it to my wife because we're going to go to the game. And, God, I'm going to get so many people pissed off at me for bringing this up just because, don't bring up the Nets. I'm bringing up the Nets. I'm sorry. When Kyrie Irving played his first game in Brooklyn this year, there was a palpable buzz in the arena, which I rarely see in Brooklyn. I admit it. Like, it's different than Madison Square Garden. But on that Sunday night against Charlotte, for the 15 minutes before the game started, everybody was standing and there was like this buzz going through the arena. That's all I got to say about the Nats. Now let me compare it to Jake. I would think Sunday's going to be like that, where sold out, Jake's throwing in the bullpen, everybody's standing to try to get a view, and then he gets a huge ovation as he comes out of the bullpen and you know everyone's giving him a standing ovation as he goes out to the mound. And I'll be fair, I'll, we'll talk about it right after. We'll do a podcast about it. I'm expecting not just a sellout, but a buzz for Jacob DeGrom because it took Jake a while. Jake, and I always complained about this on the air, never got the same buzz that Matt Harvey got, which never made sense to me. Jake's better and was better. Uh, Doc Good never got the same buzz as Doc. I'm not going to compare the two. Doc 85 was maybe the greatest pitcher anybody's ever seen. I understand that. I think Jake started to get the buzz in 2021. Because he was so dominant. And I'm not kidding you. I don't think he even had the buzz in 18 and 19. I'm at every game. I'll tell you right now. Didn't have it. Didn't have that same buzz as those other guys. But in 21, he did. Uh, because he was doing things no one's ever seen before. It was Bob Gibson on steroids. So I think because of that, the anticipation and not having seen him pitch in so long outside of this one game in Washington the other day, I would think Sunday the Braves... We'll see how they do in this series. If they're looking for a sweep, my God, you would think the buzz will be off the charts. But I would expect that buzz I saw, in Bro- and I'll tell you right now, especially if you're a Nick Met fan, you don't want to hear me, and I don't want to. I don't want to say Sunday night, boy, there was more buzz in Brooklyn than City Field. I don't want to say that. I want to say, oh, it was even better. Trust me. <laughs> I'm a diehard Ned fan, but I don't want to say that. I don't want to say, yeah, it's actually more exciting for Kyrie Irving coming back from a freaking vaccine mandate delay as opposed to Jacob DeGrom, who's better at what he does and has been away for a year. But there are events in New York, and just because you guys and some of you guys don't pay attention to the other teams doesn't mean it didn't happen. Like, there was a buzz that night. I go to every freaking net game. There's usually no buzz. There was a great kind of sound in that arena that night. And I would hope Sunday afternoon Mets Braves, they have that. Now, Pete, I'm putting you on the clock right now. Are they going to win the series? Are they going to lose the series? Are they going to get swept? Are they going to sweep? They're not What's happening? Swept. They're not getting swept. Three out of five. That's what I feel. I, I don't know if they're going to win both Scherzer and DeGrom, but they'll win at least one of those. 
and I'm fairly confident that Tywin Walker will get a, a win. I'm not sure about Peterson so much. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. I know. That's just, that's just that's one trick pony. Can't stand Peterson. <laughs> oh, man. I think, uh, I don't know what the hell to think. I think the Mets are going to lose three out of five. There you go. Does that make me negative? Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. Dude, I, I, I'll say it again. I have no idea what's going to happen in this five-game series. I really don't. So, uh, we'll see. I have we'll see. I'll tell you. If Carlos Carrasco gives up a first-inning home run on Thursday night, I ain't going to feel good. I'll, I'll tell you this much. I will promise you that the Scherzer and DeGrom game, the Mets' bats will be very dead till like, the last minute. That's what <laughs> I can guarantee. Why, why is that, dude? I cannot stand that. Why every time are they on the mound? Because so far, so far, both the, it, it, since both have returned, it's been, what, seven games? They are, there's all, Scherzer's won two games. He's got two wins under his belt. In those, I, I think I've always wondered this about Jake. I think a lot of Jake's unluckiness has been the fact that the Mets have been bad. You know, sometimes it's as simple as that. The Mets just haven't been a good team. But maybe there's something mental where you know you have a guy on the mound that's not going to give up a lot of runs. I, I don't know. I I think the guys to ask, it's not Jake and Max, that's for sure. Specifically Jake, it's the offensive players. It's ask Pete Alonso. That's Francisco Lindor. And by the way, I'll say this about Francisco Lindor. He has had a really, really clutch season. I think his offensive numbers, which are fine, the OPS is rising, but the home runs and RBI has been great all year long. I think sometimes numbers are, they are what they are, and sometimes they're deceiving. And the only way you'll know that is if you watch a guy every day, rightfully so. I think watching Lindor every single day, here's what I'll say. I'll give you the critical thing, and I'll give you the compliment. I think his defense is good. I don't think it's great. I think we see way too many errors from Francisco Lindor. Like the first play of the game on Wednesday, Victor Robles, it's a ground ball, and freaking Lindor bounces it to Alonzo. So I think his defense, specifically his arm, has been, I'm not going to say he's an average shortstop. He's not. He's better than average. Hasn't been as good as I had hoped. Watching him every day is just an eye test, right? Just an eye test. But I think offensively, he's been so clutch. And I think sometimes he doesn't get enough credit for it. Even in the Jacob DeGrom game, he hits this bomb of a home run to tie the game. It's forgotten about because the Mets ended up losing because the bullpen did, you know, basically gave it up. And obviously the offense did nothing after that. Nimmo hitting the bad luck double play. But that was so clutch. And Lindor's had a lot of that this season. He really has. Even in this finale against Washington, and maybe you don't want to call this clutch because it's the third inning, He's the one who drew the two-out walk before the Alonzo home run, and it was a great at-bat. So I think that the numbers are good. It's not like I have to defend a guy who hasn't had good numbers. Lindor has, especially home runs and RBIs, traditionally great numbers. But his home runs, he's been clutch. His two-out hits, he's been clutch. So hopefully he keeps it up. But in this moment, first week of August, let me throw uh, some bouquets at Francisco Lindor. We got to call it like it is. He's been very, very clutch this season for this team. And, and, and quickly, uh, was the error by Lindor, or did it bring the war down on Pete Alonso with a scoop? I mean, <laughs> I mean, talk about a guy. Started. Talk about a guy who gets underappreciated at first base, Pete Alonso. I, I think he's he missed that one. He didn't scoop it, but that guy is basically a vacuum at first. I, I don't understand 
and I've tried, I've actually been open-minded about this, <laughs> why and how the war stat has been so mean to Pete Alonso. Because I watch him every day. You watch him every day. Everybody listening watches him every day. I think he's actually okay defensively. I don't know, he's not Paul Goldschmidt. not saying he is. But he's fine defensively. He's a fine base runner. He's hitting line drives all over the place. He's no longer a one-dimensional slugger, which he probably more so was in 2019 and to a degree 2020. He has become such a good all-around hitter, and yet every time I see his war, I want to throw up because they just, they just don't respect him. And I don't know. I don't know how it's calculated to where it leads to Pete Alonso being marginalized as a baseball player. I just, I, I don't know. Either way, thank you very much for listening to Rico Bronia. We will record our very next podcast. Could there be an instant reaction throughout this Brave series? I'd say it's possible. It's possible. Maybe we'll give you a surprise. But I can guarantee that after this series is over, we will record an episode on Sunday at some point, and it'll be right there available for you to listen to Monday morning. Big series for the Mets. Pennant race baseball, baby. Enjoy it. You can drop us a line at Evan Roberts, WFN, whatever the hell your account is. Pete Hoffman, something, something, something. At the, I get it right. At the Hoff, WFAN. It's very easy. At the Hoff, WFAN. There you go. And you can listen to him with uh, Tiki and Tierney, Middays on the Fan, and obviously me and Craig, Monday through Friday, 2 o'clock on the Fan. Thank you for listening to Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>